Hey, so we're in this series where we're talking about 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. It's really one book originally, but we've split it up into two, you know, two volumes, a first and a second. But I want to start with this question. Have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted? Like there was a thing you were waiting for, thing you were anticipating, something you were raising money for or whatever, saving money for. Have you ever gotten the thing that was exactly what you wanted and then after you got it, you realized, eh, you know, maybe you were super disappointed. That's buyer's remorse. But for most of us, it's just one of these things where it's just, eh. okay, done that. You know, let's move on. What's the next thing on the list? We especially live in a society today that is manufactured discontent all around us. We're addicted to discontent. And this study that we're in right now is all about trying to figure out those pursuits in our life, figuring out what it is that we're really chasing and all the while learning that there's someone else who's chasing us. There's a God who wants relationship with us, and so he's pursuing us even as we are pursuing all these other things. And of course, the, you know, the proper church answer is we should be pursuing God, but the book is going to help us understand how that happens and what the benefits of it are. Today, we're going to sadly see a story of some people who aren't pursuing God. And it begins with this idea that sometimes you get exactly what you want and realize it's not what you wanted. Sometimes God gives you exactly what you want and then you realize it's not what you really wanted. Getting what we want is often bad for us. But the problem with that is that sometimes God actually does it. Sometimes God will actually let us have what we want. And we see today in this passage the consequences of that. We're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. This is exactly the same thing that was happening with Eli. Do you remember? Eli had sons that were also scoundrels, the Bible says. They, they also did things that were just pursuing their own aims. Now, the difference with Eli is that Eli also participated in that. Eli's sons did the bad stuff, but Eli himself benefited from it. Here, from this passage, we get a clear sense that Samuel is not participating in this. But at the same time, his sons are engaged in this terrible selfishness. And the truth of the matter is that every one of us is prone to pursuing what we want, not what God wants. Even Samuel's sons are pursuing dishonest gain. They're pursuing something that they want rather than what God wants for them. But let's keep going. Verse 4, it says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, Appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now, there's an issue here because... I'm kind of confused as to why Samuel and God would both find a problem with what the people are asking. If you have been with 
me in our journey through the Old Testament. You were with us when we went through Judges. And repeatedly, Judges told us that the people had problems because there was no king. The whole book of Judges is pointing to this future day when God will have a king. As a matter of fact, the law of Moses pointed to the future day when God would have a king. As a matter of fact, the book of Samuel, chapter 2, Samuel's mom, Hannah, sings this song, and at the end of the song, she's talking about the king. It's obvious that God has a king on his agenda. He's got a king in the plan for the people. It's just that for some reason, he's upset with the people asking for this king this way, at this time. What is it about this request that bothers God, that bothers Samuel? What is it about this request? We all know that God has a plan for a king, but something's going on with their request. And the hint already showed up. Our first hint, at least. It was when they said, give us a king to lead us. See, that's where the problem that we can begin to see shows up. You you see, they were looking at Samuel. Samuel's old. Samuel's going to die. When Samuel dies, they're not going to have a Samuel anymore, and so they need someone else to lead them. But that's where the problem is, because Samuel has never been leading them. Remember, God said to Samuel right here, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Samuel was never the leader. At best, he was a megaphone. God was the one holding it. God was the one doing the speaking. It's just Samuel's voice was the one they heard. Everything that we have seen so far in this book is that all Samuel did is he heard from God, he spread the word from God. That's it. He was just a mouthpiece. He was just a voice. God was the leader. But the people are like, no, 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 no. We're not okay with just a God who leads us. We want a person who leads us. And that becomes even more obvious as we continue to read through this little passage here. So let's just pick it up again. We're in verse 9. It says this, Now listen to them, God is still speaking, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. See, there you go. All Samuel does is he hears God and then he repeats the words. But here it is, verse 11. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cookers, cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. Pay attention to this. He will take a tenth of your grain. And of your vintage, and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, as you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. God says, You are choosing this king, and you will eventually regret it, but it's the details in the middle that are significant. Notice that Samuel predicts, because of God's word to him, that this king is going to take the first and the best of all of their stuff. Particularly, the king is going to take their sons and even their daughters and a tenth of certain things. 
Now, if you're not super familiar with the Old Testament, you might not have gotten these references. But there is one person in the universe who gets the first and the best. There is one person in the universe who demands a tenth of everything that comes into our hands. And that is God himself. God is the one who says, I get the first and the best. God is the one who says, I get the first 10% of your produce. God is the one who established the whole tithe principle. And now God is saying, your king is going to ask for the same stuff that I've asked for. Best case scenario, you now have to give up 20%. Worst case scenario, you only give up 10%, but the king demands it all. You see, if the king is trying to step into the place of God, then we're all in trouble. But if you are asking for a king to stand in the place of God then you're in trouble. And we find out that's exactly what they were asking for. Take a look at verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Yes, they were asking for a God replacement. I kid you not, they were asking for a God replacement. And I'm going to prove that to you by showing you three verses from earlier in the Bible. Here we go, this one from Exodus chapter 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. But we want a king to fight our battles. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. What about this one? From Deuteronomy 1, the Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. The Lord will fight for you. No, we want a king who will fight for us. But the Lord will fight for you. Keep going. Deuteronomy later on says this. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. And if that's not enough, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses says it all over one more time. He says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. These people have an opportunity to get what they really need, and yet they are asking for something different. And they are just like us, and we are just like them. Even to this day, we human beings would rather have an earthly strong man than a heavenly God. We would rather have someone who's the figurehead in front of us. We would rather have the someone who's in front of us who can, quote unquote, fight our battles. We would rather have someone who's doing battle on our side, making us all kinds of promises. And the strong person who's just borderline bully or maybe over the line bully, but as long as he's on our side, we're okay with that. We just want an earthly strong man to lead us to fight our battles. No, I'm not okay with just a heavenly God. That's what they're asking for. They're literally asking for a supplement, a replacement to God. They're asking for an idol, a king. And that's why Samuel, and that's why God are upset with this request. But let's find out what God does. Because in truth, 
God is going to give them exactly what they asked for. Verse 21, when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. He's just like, I'm done with you. Go home. I'll take care of it. But let's find out what God's going to do. You'll find out along with me that it starts poorly. And then next week, we'll see that there's like a tiny little bright shining moment in this whole thing, but then it quickly goes poorly again. So here we go. Verse 1, chapter 9. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth. We, we know they're people of standing because we got a lot of names there. It's like this, this family goes back. Son of Aphiah of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul. All of this energy is spent on Kish, but he's also got a son, you know? So let's talk about Saul. He had a son named Saul, a handsome, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Okay, so here's this guy. And everybody who knows this guy is like, ooh, that's that guy. You know, that's the, that's the guy, he's on YouTube and he gets a million views. That's the guy who goes on TikTok and no one swipes past him. That's the guy who runs for office and wins no matter what party he's in. That's the guy that everybody everywhere says that's the guy. And here it is, as handsome as anyone and a head taller than anyone else. Handsome, tall. And now verse 3, what are we going to learn about this amazing man? Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father were lost, and uh, Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. What? Like, like his job, his job, this, this amazing man, his, his job that we meet him with is go look for the donkeys. You know, he can't even keep track of his own assets. It's just like this guy, this guy is like, what in the world? He has all this potential, it seems, and he's just out looking for donkeys. Skip ahead. Let's go to verse 5. It says, when he and his servant, when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. They still haven't found the donkeys, but he's giving up. He's like, come on, let's just go ahead and give up. We haven't found the donkeys, but now my dad's going to worry about me because Saul is not responsible enough to be out in the wilderness alone with his servant for too long. The dad is going to worry about Saul because Saul can't handle himself or Saul is too scared. And he's like, I'm really the one who's scared. I want to I want to go back. Skip ahead. Let's go to verse 6. But the servant replied, look, in this town there's a man of God. He's highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. I'm going to skip over a little bit of stuff here, but basically what happens is there's this long drawn out story of the quote unquote man of God that we don't know who it is. And the story of the man of God, and there's a sacrifice that's going to happen, and then the man of God is, is going to arrive, and everybody's waiting to eat the sacrifice until he shows up. And we don't find out until the very end of the story that the man of God is actually Samuel. And literally, it's one of these things where it's like, wait a minute, 
Samuel, we've known Samuel all along. Why is the narrator acting like he's some new character? Because he's a new character to Saul. Because he's a new character to Saul's servant. They live in Benjamin, right near where Samuel himself was raised. Samuel has been leading the nation of Israel for over 20 years now. His kids are old, you know. Samuel's been leading the people, and yet Saul, for some reason, has no idea about this guy. And the narrator wants us to know how ignorant Saul and his servant are. But let's go ahead and keep going. Skip ahead to verse 14. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people for their cry has reached me. Okay, God says, I'm going to do what the people asked. I'm going to give them a human being who will deliver them from the Philistines. File that away. Saul's job, Saul's job is to deliver them from the Philistines. File that away. I'll say it again. Saul's job is to deliver them from the Philistines. That is the reason God is putting him in charge. Because see, there's this thing that God does. He will give us what we want, but he's trying. He's trying to give us even better. So anyway, keep Keep reading here. God says, this is his job to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people. Their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Here's the point. God sometimes actually does give us what we want. Don't don't be any sort of person who says that it's because Saul was handsome that he was chosen. No, because the people are the ones who would choose Saul because he's handsome, right? God is the one who picks Saul. It's okay to recognize that God is the one who is choosing Saul. God says, this is the guy I've picked. I just happen to have picked exactly the guy that the people are asking for. I picked the big guy, the tall guy, the impressive guy. God says, I'm going to give them what they want. Verse 18, Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Again, Saul doesn't even know who this Samuel guy is, even though he's been leading the nation for so long. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you're to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that's in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? By the way, Saul, God took care of your donkeys for you. You don't have to worry about the donkeys. You weren't even looking for them anyway. You wanted to get out. But just don't don't worry about the donkeys. God took care of the donkeys for you. Now, you were pursuing donkeys. The nation is pursuing you. That's what Samuel's saying. Okay, so don't you think that would make Saul kind of a little puffed up, a little encouraged, a little, wow, you know, God is working on my behalf? Well, the truth is that God is about to do something scary. Skip ahead to verse 25. It says this, After they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. 
They rose about daybreak, and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready, and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while so that I may give you a message from God. God is about to ask Saul to do something really scary. But what's amazing is that before the scary thing happens, God is going to give Saul five insane proofs that God is with him. Samuel right now is going to predict five things that are going to happen. And then when they happen, that should be confirmation for Saul that God is with him, that God is a part of this whole thing. So here it is. This begins in, uh, in verse 1. Samuel took a flask of oil, olive oil, and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? The first thing God does is he anoints Saul with oil and says, You! have been anointed by God. That's the first thing. The second thing, verse 2. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. I'd love to talk about Rachel's tomb and why that's a significant location and why that's a, a sign of another miracle, but I've got to keep going. At Zelza on the border of Benjamin, they will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Okay, so the father is worried The donkeys have been found, but Samuel is predicting two very specific guys at a very specific location who will say a very specific thing to Saul. Okay, anointing. That's not a prediction. That's just God doing something right there. Then a specific prediction of a specific encounter. If that happens, don't you think Saul would be a little confident that God is involved in this? But it's more than that. Keep going. Now we're at verse 3. Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Another symbol that I could talk about, but I, I don't have time to. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and after you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. Samuel is one person giving an anointing. Saul is going to keep walking and he's going to find two people in a very specific location with a very specific message. Saul's going to keep walking and he's going to find three people in a very specific location with a very specific message. If all of those things happen, don't you think Saul would be a little bit convinced? that maybe God is in the midst of all this. God's not done. Keep reading. It says this now. We're going to skip ahead to verse 5. After that, you will go up to Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Two more. As you're walking, you're going to see a procession of prophets right when you get near Gibeah. And then the final proof, the Spirit's going to come on you too. And you're going to prophesy with them. 
Listen, in the Old Testament, prophesy doesn't necessarily mean to say things about the future. I mean, Samuel is saying things about the future. He is prophesying about the future. But prophesying back in that day just simply meant to be overwhelmed with the presence of God. Sometimes it manifests itself in you've heard a voice and you speak the voice. Sometimes it manifests itself in you're just lost in worship and you are just singing and you are absolutely lost in worship and the Spirit of God is so strong strongly upon you that everything in your life changes. And Samuel says to Saul, you will be a different person. Now, just track with me on this. God is going to give the people exactly what they want. But God is also in the process of trying to give them something even better. Because they wanted Saul to be a powerful leader. And God wants to turn Saul into a prophet. God is doing all of this so that Saul will get this huge layer of confidence that God is with him. And at the culmination of this moment, he's going to meet a bunch of prophets and he is going to be overcome with the Spirit of God and he is going to prophesy with them. God is trying to turn what the people wanted into something way better. They wanted a king who would fight their battles, but God knows they need a leader who will speak the words of God to them. God knows that they need a person like Saul turned prophet, not just king. Because God always wants a king who has the access to hear God and speak to the people. They want a king, but God wants to give them something even better. But why all of this stuff? Let me show you verse 7. It says this, Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now, what's interesting about that phrase is that it, it sounds like Samuel is saying to Saul, once you've got God on your side, then, you know, just do whatever. You know, once you've got God on your side, just do whatever. But that's not what Samuel is saying. Do you remember I told you Saul had a specific job God was giving him? Right? The job was to... Defeat the, yeah, I couldn't do that last week because none of y'all were here. But God wanted, them to def- wanted Saul to defeat the Philistines. Did you see the little phrase that Samuel had at the beginning of the last prediction he was making? I'll read it for you. I'll read it for you. I'm going to read just the first half of verse 5, the first half of verse 6, and the last half of verse 7. First half of verse 5. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. First half of verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. And, verse 7 Do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. You see, Samuel is saying to Saul, 
you're going to go to Gibeah of God, which, by the way, let's just remember, Gibeah is of God. Right? Samuel says there's this town that everybody knows should belong to God. Right? Gibeah, that town that everybody knows should belong to God. It's Gibeah of God. You've heard of Gibeah of God before, right? I mean, you know totally about it. It's the Gibeah of God place. Not that other Gibeah. The Gibeah of God. That's the one that you're going to come up to. And when you get to God's Gibeah, you're going to remember that there is a Philistine outpost there. Gee, I wonder what your job was. Will, do, will be, Saul. I wonder what you're supposed to do in your life, Saul. When you get to Gibeah of God, there's a Philistine outpost and the Spirit of God will come powerfully on you, so do whatever you want to do. I hope you're getting this. Because this is Samuel saying to Saul, you are on the cusp of crossing the threshold into Samson territory. You remember the dude with the long hair? You remember that guy who could just beat up anybody? You remember that guy who could take down like a thousand people with just the jawbone of a donkey? Saul can't even find his donkeys. I don't know, I won't get deep into that one, but Samuel is saying to Saul, you are on the cusp of hero territory here. The Spirit of God is going to come on you. So just let it loose. Do whatever you want to do because God is with you. And the question, of course, is will Saul operate under the confidence of the power of the Spirit Or will Saul operate in the fear of human beings? All of this other stuff that Samuel is predicting to Saul is all to build up in Saul this awareness that he is linked to something way better than what the people wanted. (sighs) But it doesn't work. Interestingly enough, not only is Gibeah supposed to be the town that God owns, Gibeah also happens to be Saul's own hometown. This is later in the chapter, but I'll put it up on the screen right now. It just says this, Saul also went to his home in Gibeah. It also just so happens that later on, all the people in Israel refer to Gibeah as Gibeah of Saul. That's in the next chapter. I'll put that up here. In chapter 11, it says, the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul. But, let's see what Saul actually does. Verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met them. 
The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Yes, that was God's choice. God wanted this guy who was going to be the king to be prophet first. He wanted this guy who was already going to be the king to be this really amazing prophet guy first. A man who lived there answered, and who's their father? So it became a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. And that's the end of that story. Saul arrives at Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine outpost. He meets the prophets, and he joins them. And he's having a moment there with God. And the Holy Spirit enters him and begins to change his heart. And then he leaves. He goes to the high place. I don't know which high place. It might have been a a high place that was devoted to God. It might have been a high place that was devoted to some foreign God. We don't know. High places were just places where people would go and worship because they were higher than other places. But he did not go to the Philistine outpost. He did not do what his hand found to do there. He did not operate in the power of the Spirit. Instead, he just left. And the story of Saul gets sadder. Skip to verse 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities and you have said, now appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, because he wasn't there, somehow his name was drawn out of the hat, but Saul wasn't even there with his family at this moment. When they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. Other translations have luggage. He's hidden himself in the midst of all the junk you guys brought with you when you came to Mizpah. He's kneeling down behind that Samsonite over there. Go get him. He's your king. The the story of Saul is a story of such incredible sadness. God wanted to lead the people directly, but they want an earthly leader. And so God gives them what they want. But God wanted something better for them. He wanted them to have a better kind of king. And so he tries to change Saul's heart. He tries to move into Saul's life. He tries to turn Saul himself into a prophetic figure. Because God has something better for the people of Israel. And he has something better for Saul himself. But Saul is too scared. So he doesn't go up to the Philistine outpost 
and he hides behind some boxes. And get this. When Saul comes out, verse 23, they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. A guy who should be everything you wanted hiding in the luggage. And the people shout, long live the king. It's the first time the Israelites ever say those words, which are really stupid words to say. You should never say, long live the king. What if he's a bad king? You want that guy gone quickly. Bad kings, you don't want them to live long. What you do is say, long good the king. Long godly the king. Long gracious the king. Long humble the king. But these people, they don't even care. Just like all the nations around them, they say the thing that all the nations have always said throughout all of history. I just hope he lives long. Because then we don't have to do this again. Long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts and to top it all off. The cherry on the top of this disappointment icing is... And Saul kept silent. His own countrymen don't recognize him as king. And he's like, eh. And he keeps silent. He doesn't say anything about it. Here's the thing. We as people constantly want earthly solutions when God is giving us heavenly power. We want earthly solutions when God is giving us heavenly power. We want earthly people to go before us, to fight our battles, to be our strong man. And God wants something better for us. He wants himself first and foremost. But then, even if he gives us an earthly person, God says, I want that person to be more me than he. We're the kind of people who constantly are searching for something we think we want while God is trying to give us something better. So as you reflect on these things, as you prepare your hearts for communion, as you prepare your hearts to make a new commitment for this year, I want to ask you to take something home with you. Two little phrases. One, don't settle for what you want. Don't ever settle for what you want. Instead, commit to something better. Don't ever settle for what you want. Commit to something better. Between now and the end of this year, there are going to be some times that you get exactly what you want. And you might be disappointed. You might be happy. I don't know. Between now and the end of this year, there might be some times when you get something you did not want. And it might turn out to be phenomenal or it might turn out to be just another thing. But no matter what, our temptation is to look for the things of this earth that we want all the while God is trying to give us something better. So don't, don't settle for what you want. Commit to something better. 
Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And His plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.